This is a Federal News Network podcast. It started with a lot of promise, but now the experiment looks like it's over. The Defense Business Board, an outside advisory group, recommends eliminating the chief management officer's position, inaugurated in 2008. For the closer term, DOD officials are telling industry and one another, prepare for flatter budgets than they've been used to for the past few years. With more on what's been happening in DOD, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Massioni. And Jared, we'll start with you, the CMO position. That had such promise, and now it's not gone, but a powerful group seems to have recommended that it go. It's not gone, and it does. We have gotten indications from Congress that they want it to be gone, or they, they at least want some sort of big changes here because they feel that the office has not been effective. And in this new report by the Defense Business Board basically comes to the same conclusion, comes to that conclusion very strongly based on interviews with 90 people, most of them um, you know, senior officials in DOD and former officials in DOD. That lack of effectiveness, most in the area, most mostly in the area of business transformation, that part of the mission, they say, is not really the fault of any individual person who's held that chief management officer role in the past. It's that the office was really never set up for success. Congress just kind of plopped it near the top of DOD's organizational chart without really thinking through all the cultural pieces of how you get that office to be effective and drive business change throughout the department. I mean, one of the things they point to is that it's been staffed by acting officials more than half the time, which certainly doesn't help. But the other bit of it is that the office has really never had the authority and responsibility that you need to do the sort of, you know, internal bureaucratic political negotiation that really only the deputy secretary of defense or the secretary of defense can do at the DOD level and doesn't have the authority that somebody like an undersecretary of one of the military departments would have because the main factors there are those sorts of people in those kinds of positions control budgets, they control people, they control policy things which the the CMO has never really been empowered to do. And so is it a certainty that it will go away or that board that recommends that it go away is congressionally appointed. This task to, to draw up the report was mandated in last year's 2020 NDAA at about the same time that, that Congress was signaling that it's getting ready to get rid of the CMO's office. And I think you would have to conclude that the fact that this this board came to the, some of the same conclusions that Congress had already come to does not you know portend positive things for the future of, of the office as it is now. They are not saying completely get rid of this position. I mean, the, the the board really does feel like you need somebody at the at the top of the department who would be driving transformative business process change. But but this you know this office is is really not answering the mail. So they give three different options. One of which is kind of interesting. It's you know you would set up two different deputy secretaries of defense who would basically be empowered in the same ways. But one would focus on businessy things, resources and management. The other one would focus more on strategy and policy. Another option is you put this. CMO-like figure elsewhere in the DOD organizational chart, and you call it the Principal Undersecretary of Defense for Business Transformation. Part of that is, you know, the board feels that this title of CMO has never really jived with DOD culture. No one quite knows what chief management officer means. People do know what an undersecretary is, though, and this undersecretary would focus only on business reform type activities. It would get rid of some of the other things that the CMO
Cuomo currently does, like overseeing the defense agencies and some of the regulatory functions, like running the physical plant at the Pentagon. And then the third option would be the deputy secretary gets this role again, basically the same role that the chief management officer role used to belong to the deputy secretary of defense. That would go back, but you would call it a chief operating officer uh, that 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 deputy secretary um, uh, that that would be one of the deputy secretary's hats. And then you give the rest of the CMO's jobs um, to other organizations in DOD, like the comptroller, like the Office of Cost Assessment and Program Evaluation that already have very sophisticated kind of analytical capabilities, but have had their budgets really severely cut in the last several years. So you would also have to restore some of those cuts, according to the Defense Business Board. And that leads to the whole budget issue. And, Scott, you're reporting there's some uncertainty that is being signaled by defense leadership right now. The Defense Department really was expecting a lot flatter budgets than they uh, have been getting in the past under the Trump administration. But now with the trillions of dollars going to the coronavirus relief, uh, future budgets are looking like they're going to be a lot tighter than they were. DOD has been trying to modernize its force. It's been continuing with its innovation theme and also countering near-peer competitors. So they've been hoping for a 3% growth to continue uh, to meet those goals. But uh, Sec- Defense Secretary Mark Esper said last week that the Pentagon should uh, you know, really look into how it's going to be modernizing because he's seriously doubting that they're going to be getting even that 3%. The budgets are looking pretty flat. So uh, one of the ways that he wants to do that is continue with the night court situation, which is uh, you know looking at legacy programs and then bringing those to an end and putting that money into modernization. Their top priority right now is in modernization of the new nuclear deterrent. But one of the things that that is interesting about this is that with Night Court, you know, they've already gone through this process a few times. Uh, You know, he says there's a lot of legacy programs, but eventually that that fruit is going to uh, not be as uh, sweet and not be able to return as much money as it did before. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to see how much DOD can actually trim the fat. All right. And the Jedi cloud computing contract has taken a new cone of silence, it sounds like. There is. You know, people like me have gotten spoiled over the last couple of years because we keep getting new information about what's going on with Jedi via disclosures and court documents. But now that the Court of Federal Claims has kicked this back to DOD to take corrective action and, and reconsider parts of its award decision to Microsoft, it really has gone silent. There is there is a, a lack of disclosure here that I've really never seen around any other public procurement. For example, we, we, we learned that DOD had reissued the solicitation, the revised solicitation, only via a Microsoft blog posting. DOD never made any public disclosure of that. They did not publish that revised RFP on FedBizOps or the system for award management the way we're used to seeing public procurement documents. We went back and asked them, okay, when did that actually happen? And they flatly refused to answer the question. They are at the point now where they're not even disclosing the dates of things that have already happened. (laughs) Likewise, they will not talk about when the due date is for new proposals on JEDI or when they expect to make an award. I mean, again, Again, these are these are the sorts of things that it's it's hard to imagine treating as procurement sensitive in anything else besides Jedi. It's also hard hard to imagine how the public knowing that information would possibly cause harm to the procurement. But DOD really is in a situation now where they're not only refusing to disclose those basic details, they won't even give an explanation as to why, which is um, disappointing. And they won't even confirm that J stands for joint 
Correct. All right. And also on the subject of ongoing issues, housing problems. Now they are finding issues with military-owned housing and not just the rented-out contracted housing, Jared. As I wrote in the notebook this week, this this really is a reminder, I think, of, of why housing was privatized in the 1990s in the first place. And it was because the military services aren't really that good at maintaining housing in, in good condition and getting reasonable health and safety conditions. So the DODIG did an inspection of eight different bases where DOD still runs its own family housing. There's not many of them left, and, and most of them are overseas. The one exception to that is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. But one of the main findings in this IG report is they found health and safety deficiencies at all eight of them. At, at seven of them, they found that there weren't even records that could show base officials which of these housing units might contain lead-based paint. At Wright-Patterson, for example, though, they assume, they presume that basically all of them do. However, there, there are no records to really show that. The, the IG has photographs in the report showing what sure looks like lead-based paint flaking off a window. So, I, I mean, the upshot of not having those kinds of records is there's obviously no way to make what what in the civilian world would be the legally required disclosures to people living in those housing that they may be susceptible to hazards. And, and you know, there are some mitigation plans in place like rotating families through these houses once per year so they're not exposed to any one thing at any particular time. But but the upshot, according to the IG report, is that you know DOD really just does not have any minimum standards for health and safety in the housing units that it continues to own and operate. There are standards, but they're mostly about making sure things are in, you know, physically, you know, maintaining good physical appearance and, and not these unseen things like sure. lead and, and radon, radon. Like the saying goes, we've got lots of standards. They're just all low. That's right. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu, thanks so much. Thank you. And Scott Massioni, thank you. Thank you. Check out their notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.